discern who we are based on how we stack up to the worst possible person. God judges us based on who we're supposed to be, our best version of ourselves, what Jesus would look like in my life and circumstances. And that is why we know that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Because each one of us has fallen short in a myriad of ways based on a perfect version of what my life would look like. Lots of people think that they're going to get into heaven because they aren't as bad as the worst person they can think of. The reason that's not going to work is because that's not how God evaluates your life. As Pastor Daniel will show, God doesn't even have to compare your life with Jesus' life. He only has to compare your life with the life you know you should have lived. That's why you and everyone else needs God's mercy. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 38 as he continues his message. Judah, Tamar, and the grace of God. So Judah goes on up to shear his sheep, right? And Tamar hears that her father-in-law is going up to shear his sheep. So what does she do? She takes off her widow's garments. She covered herself with a veil and she wrapped herself and she presented herself as a harlot. So she took off her garments of mourning and she presented herself in the open square. She did this because she realized that his son Sheila had grown up, but Judah hadn't come through on his promise. And really what he was doing was, is he was oppressing her because he left her without the covering of a husband. And so he said he was going to take care of her as he ought to do in that culture, but he wasn't. So she comes up with this idea I'm going to present myself as a harlot. And sure enough, Judah's traveling. In verse 15, he saw her. He thought she was a harlot. She covered her face, and he came and he propositioned her. That's verses 15 and 16. He saw her. He didn't have a wife. And he pulled a man dumb thing. Now, again, if he was around a godly man, a godly man would be like, are you kidding me? You are not going to do that. But he didn't have anybody, and he wasn't. I mean, this is just bad, right? Plain and simple. She says, well, what will you give me? He says, I'll give you a young goat of the flock. That's a good deal. Okay, like, if someone did that to you, like a young goat of the flocks. I mean, are you kidding me? But in that culture, a young goat of the flocks, that's a really cool gift. It was an honorable gift in that culture. And she said, well, what are you going to give me until you give me? Because it wasn't like he was traveling with one of his sheep. So she says, look, I want you to give me your signet ring, your staff, and the cord. Now, you have to think. In verse 18, the signet ring was the pledge. So like, it'd be like my grandfather used to have a ring that had his initials on it. And in that culture, when you bought something, they would like melt like some wax, and they would press their ring into it. And it was like for maybe DF for Daniel Fusco. People knew that was mine, right? And so he gave her this piece of, uh, of his name, said, I'm going to give you this, and then once we do this, 
This means I'm going to give you this until I bring you the young child of the goats. And she says, that sounds great. But what's interesting is that for Tamar, it wasn't about the sex. It really wasn't about that for her. It was about Judah honoring what he had said he would do. That's what it was about. And so they sleep together. She bails. He sends his buddy to go complete the transaction. There's no harlot in that area. She doesn't belong there. She's not like, that's not her corner, so to speak. And it's interesting that Judah even knows, even knows that what he did was shameful. Look at verse 22 and 23. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of this place said that there is no harlot in this place. And then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. Brothers and sisters, listen. Listen. We have to deal with the shameful things of our life. And if we're really honest, we all have them. Some of us, they're a very present reality. For some of us, they're things of the past. But if you think about when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, what did they do? They hid from God and they felt shame. Isn't that what it says? And if we're honest with ourselves, our lives are an everyday rehearsal of we hide ourselves from God and we feel shame. And maybe it's not you are visiting a harlot, which in our culture is a big sin. But we all have areas of shame in our lives. We do. But it's interesting that Adam and Eve, in their sinfulness, they felt shame and they hid from God. And what does God do? God comes to find them and he covers their shame. And that's the gospel, isn't it? It's God coming to find humanity that is filled with shame and hiding from him. And he comes in the person of Jesus And he comes in search of you, and he comes in search of me. So no matter what your shame is, no matter how real and how forming it's been to your life, if you come to Jesus, Jesus is looking for you. He's coming, knocking on the door of your life, and he's saying, look, I want to cover your shame. I want to help you deal with your shame. Where the Spirit is, there is liberty. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And part of that is saying, look, I know shame in my own life, but I know that Jesus has forgiven me. And I can't change my past. And it was sordid, and it was wrong, and I feel terrible about it. But guess what? Jesus has come and taught me a new way, and he's covered that sin. That is the glory of what it means to be a child of God. So, brother, sister, whatever that shame-inducing thing is in your life, whether present or past or whatever it is, come to Jesus and allow Jesus to robe you with new robes, clean robes. I'll never forget, this was so vivid in my life because I remember when my pastor, Pastor John Henry Corcoran, when they wanted to ordain me as a pastor, And I remember that before they were going to do that, they wanted me to sit down with the board of elders there. And I remember for like five days, I was like out of sorts. And you're like, well, Pastor Dan, you're always a little out of sorts. But I mean, like really out of sorts. Like I just kind of like, my heart was racing and my hands were clammy. I was just really anxious. Because in the days leading up to this interview, before my ordination, Satan was just hammering me with my whole life. I mean, a whole life, 
of total rebellion. And not just me in rebellion, but me cheerleading people into rebellion. And I remember it was like Thursday in the office where the meeting was going to be the next day. And my pastor grabbed me and says, Daniel, you look terrible. And I'm like, I got to be honest with you, Pastor John Henry. I am a mess right now. Tell me why. And I just said, John Henry, I mean, you know where I've been. And I just went down the list. I mean, and it was a list. And I didn't even give him the really bad things. I just gave him like the, this is kind of bad stuff. And he's like, yeah, really bad. So he says, you know, he was tough too. He'd like to give you a hard time. He's like, really bad. And he's like, and you feel like you can't do this, right? I'm like, absolutely. I don't want to tell these guys all this stuff. He said, well, you know, Daniel, if God has forgotten it, who are you to remember it any longer? And I was just like, you know, you know, it's like one of those ones, like, like a friendly brother who punches you in the face with the truth of the, of the word, you know? And then he quoted, he's like, as far as the East is what? Is from the West. That's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. And you know how far the East is from the West? That's as far as it gets. It's like the East and the West never meet up. It's like they're just on the opposite sides. And I bring this up because for so many of us, God has separated us from our shame, but we're still busy staring at it. Maybe other people won't let us get past it, but oftentimes we're the ones. We're the ones who are stuck. And maybe there's somebody in your life who put their faith and trust in Jesus. They've done terrible things to you, and you won't let them get past it. And this is what the gospel is all about in application. It's about reconciliation. It's about bringing people who are at enmity back together. So whatever the pieces of shame in your life is, bring them to Jesus. He is really good at this. Bring them to him and let him bring peace through it. Bring reconciliation Bring redemption and salvation through those areas of shame. Judah knows what he's doing is shameful, but yet he did it anyway. He still did it. Now, look what happens in verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and staff. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Sheila, my son. And he never knew her again. Judah makes the very normal mistake of saying, My sin looks really bad when you do it. That's what he does. He finds out three months later that Tamar is pregnant. And he says, bring her out here. We need to kill her. She's a sinner. She did what's not right. I mean, we see this a few times in the Bible, don't we? One of the most classic examples, of course, is King David. Do you remember when King David, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, when he noticed a woman named Bathsheba bathing, the wife of Uriah, he called for her. She came over. They ended up committing adultery. 
She ended up being with child. David tried to cover up his sin by bringing Uriah back from the heat of the battle and saying, listen, Uriah, listen. He got him drunk. And he said, go home. Enjoy your wife. You're a good man. Figuring that if Uriah would go into his wife and then she was pregnant, no one would know it was King David's. But Uriah was an honorable man. He's like, how can I go and sleep with my wife when my troops are in the field? So he slept outside. Wow. So what does David do? He says, listen, I'm going to fix this. And he sent a letter by Uriah's own hand, put this man in the heat of the battle, and Uriah got killed. And David thought, okay, I'm in the clear. Uriah's out of the picture. Me and Bathsheba are going to have a child. No worries. But what happened was, is God actually loved David enough to speak to a prophet named Nathan and say, Nathan, you need to go talk to David. See, listen, a prophet going and rebuking the king, that was like a death wish. That's what it was. But Nathan went, he told David, he told him the story of the rich man and his neighbor, and the rich man had all these flocks, and the neighbor, they just had one little ewe lamb, a little baby lamb, and that little lamb was like the house puppy, ate at the table. The kids loved him. But when the rich man had some visitors, and he said, hey, listen, I want to feed my visitors, and he went and he took his neighbor's little ewe lamb that was like the house puppy and killed it because he didn't want to use his own. And when David heard it, he got angry. Oh, bring them to me. Let's kill them. And in the Hebrew, Nathan says, David, you the man. This is you. You have wives and concubines, and you took this one honorable man's wife, and you committed adultery. You did this. And David repented. See, listen, you have to realize whatever the sin that really bugs you, the reason it probably does is you do the exact same thing. So if you're the kind of person that when you talk with someone, you think they just talk all the time, I guarantee you're a talker if you ask somebody. <laughs> or if you say, so-and-so is just so close-minded, whatever that is. I mean, Judah's mad. And in that culture, a woman who committed adultery, it was punishable by death. And Tamar says, listen, okay, you're mad. I'm pregnant by whoever these are. Oof. And when he looks at his signet ring and the cord in his staff, look what he says. She is more righteous than I. Verse 26. Now, this is a crazy statement. But guess what? This is only true when sinners compare themselves with other sinners. Brothers and sisters, listen. Most of us view our own lives and the righteousness of our own lives by grading on a curve. We think to ourselves, I am more righteous than Charles Manson, who's a horrible person, right? We have this tendency to take the worst possible person and say, I'm doing better than they are. But God does not discern who we are based on how we stack up to the worst possible person. God judges us based on who we're supposed to be, our best version of ourselves, what Jesus would look like in my life and circumstances. And that is why we know that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Because each one of us has fallen short in a myriad of ways based on a perfect version of what my life would look like. Perfect version. So Judah, he says, man, she's more righteous than I. He gets what went on. What she did, I'm the wrong one. That's what he's saying. This is my fault. And notice, he repents because notice what it says. And he never knew her again. 
True repentance is hating something enough to quit it and never go back. Everything short of that is not a full act of repentance. Now, closing out the chapter, verse 27. Now, it came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it to his hand saying, this one came out first. And it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez, which literally means to breach or to break through. And afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah. And Zerah literally means scarlet or scarlet thread. That's where it comes from. Now, what's fascinating here is that Tamar has twins. Zerah puts his hand out first. Now, you know, you read this and some people are like, how does this happen? And I'm like, I don't know. I was a twin. Most of you guys don't know that. I have a twin sister. She's six minutes older. I always joke that I just needed six minutes of peace and quiet before I went out into the world. (laughs) I love my sister, too. She's cool. She doesn't have a beard either, which we're grateful for. But we always laugh about this stuff. But it's interesting that Zerah put his hand out first, but Perez busted through first, and then Zerah was born. Now, what does this have to do with anything? If you read your Bible from cover to cover, in the book of Ruth, it says this. It's just such a fascinating thing. You guys know the story of Ruth, right? With Boaz, and Ruth was a woman not of Jewish birth, and she ended up marrying Boaz, and she was a godly gal. But in the end of the book of Ruth, once Boaz married Ruth, it says this in verse 11. We are witnesses. The Lord made this woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. It's fascinating that in the book of Ruth, the people of Boaz's city bless him and saying, listen, may this woman be like Leah and Rachel, And may your house be like the house of Perez. It's the strangest blessing. But what they didn't realize, and when you read your the first page of your New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. And you end up finding that the lineage of the Messiah comes from Jacob to Judah through Perez, the son of Tamar. God's grace knows no bounds. And if you read those genealogies, you realize that all sorts of fatally flawed people are part of the lineage of Jesus. Our flaws do not keep us from being useful to God because God is greater than our flaws. 
And God's grace is sufficient to cover our flaws. And God is a great redeemer. And this is the hope of the people of God and has always been. Not that we get it right and we're blessed because we get it right, but that we get it wrong and God is a redeemer of our wrongs. And I pray for us as a community, as individuals, that we drink down deep into the grace of God. And we experience the grace of God unto salvation for ourselves by believing in Jesus. But even in the way we view ourselves and our past and our mistakes, that we say, you know what, God? I've made a total mess of this, but you're a great redeemer. You can do work through this mistake. And not only do we deal with ourselves based in grace, but we learn how to deal with others in an economy of grace. Because if we look at our lives, most of the pain in our lives are inflicted by the people around us. And guess what? We do the same thing to other people. We know that we get hurt so easily by people, but we don't even realize sometimes how little grace we have with people. We've been forgiven, but we won't offer forgiveness. Somebody messes up and they come back and say, I'm so sorry. And you say, well, listen, that really hurt. I don't know if I can forgive you. And you beat them down a little bit more. Isn't that the worst when someone comes with a heart of contrition and then we beat them up a little more? That's not functioning in grace. That's functioning in judgment. And grace is what makes the people of God different from everybody else. Because we put our faith and trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit has ignited faith in our lives. And because he's ignited faith in our lives, then we don't deal with people as everybody else does, but we deal with them from a place of grace, a place that says, listen, yes, you're flawed and guess what? So am I. And guess what? God still loves you. And you know what? I'm working on it too. It is my prayer, not only for Crossroads, but for the people of God scattered all over this great globe, that we would be known as a people of grace. That our relationships and our views of ourselves and the way we relate to each other as a church and as a church, how we relate to the county at large would be based on the grace of God. I mean, this is a total mess, but yet God still chose Judah and his son Perez, a son of harlotry, to be in the glorious line of Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but God's grace is amazing. It's astounding. It's extraordinary. It's subversive. It totally undercuts the way it makes sense for it to go. And God wants us to live in this world as agents of grace, agents of reconciliation, being people who just deal with people in a whole different framework because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come just to prepare us to die, but also to teach us how to live. And grace-informed living is the lot of the follower of Jesus. And it's my prayer for all of us that we'd say, Lord, teach me how to move in grace. Teach me how to lavish grace. Teach me how to experience grace. Teach me how to view people based on grace. Amen? Jesus is real. Wow, that's an amazing story of grace and forgiveness. 
Through this story, Pastor Daniel showed how God took a situation that anybody living at the time would have thought of as a dumpster fire, if they had dumpsters, and it's a great reminder for us to remember that we all mess up to some degree. All of us. We should be willing to extend grace to people who treat us badly. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world, and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel begins his teaching, Joseph in Egypt. You'll hear about Joseph's experience as a slave, the blessings of God as he serves, and then the challenges posed to him by his master's wife. Pastor Daniel will talk about the necessity of doing what is right no matter the consequences of doing so. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Brothers. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.